0: And every day we can play on the Milky Way. And if that don't do, then I'll try something new. Good morning and welcome to episode 333 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from baseball prospectus. I am Ben Lindberg, joined as always by Sam Miller. Uh, I would prefer to pitch for the Giants or Padres. Did you see the report that Josh Johnson, who just signed with the Padres, called and let the Giants and Padres know early on that they were his first choices? That would oh. That would always be my move if I were a free agent pitcher. I would always want to go there. I guess it's partly because he lives in Las Vegas and he wants to be close to there, but... I don't know. Like if I I'm almost I'm sort of surprised that the Padres haven't had an even greater advantage in signing free agents and maybe they have and it's that it's just that they haven't wanted to pay for them, but uh, there's so many guys who are coming off a down year or an injury or just a fly ball pitcher who have reason to want to go there and the weather's not bad either. Seems like Yeah, would be an advantage.
1: I if you're it is interesting. I mean, we always, at least I always wonder why extreme ballparks don't show uh, advantages that, you know, with situations like this where you can uh, kind of squeeze extra value out of them. And the Giants for years complained that their park uh, made it impossible for them to get hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side see, would seem to be that it would be really easy to get pitchers. And mm-hmm. that wasn't really the case, they didn't really do very well getting pitchers uh that they imported generally speaking. Uh San Francisco and San Diego would be two of my top three major league cities to live in, too. Yeah. So uh so that's nice. But um I mean it seems it, it seems fairly transparent for Josh Johnson to to go to San Diego. You have to wonder mm-hmm. who's gonna really be you know who's really gonna be fooled.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I have wondered that too, because we've gotten to the point now where I don't know whether general managers are actually fooled by a, a flyball pitcher doing well in a really big ballpark with the you know, the marine layer by the ocean and everything. I, I don't know whether anyone is still able to cash in on that and get a contract somewhere else because of success in Petco. Maybe I should probably look into that and see whether people have managed to parlay that into big contracts elsewhere. Or whether it's just staying with San Diego,
1: if if people are if GMs are really that dumb, or if um, you know if hitting in Pac Bell or AT and T Park really is that you know if if batters think that it's going to cost them that much money, then really what it should have been is that right-handed batters should have all been trying to go there because it was a it was basically a neutral park for right-handers for Mm -hmm. uh, for as long as I knew it, Mm -hmm. and uh, so if you're carrying this stigma or not the stigma the the bonus I guess of of playing in a in a park that people think is killing your offense, and you're you know a right-handed hitter, you should go. Like, look super good. Yeah. But of course, nobody's that stupid. I I'm fairly <laughs> sure that GMs are not tricked.
0: That's a shame. Well, when I'm a free agent, I'm gonna let the Padres know that they're my first choice.
1: I mean, we've we've also noted that the Rockies have never signed a uh, you know a a true power hitter. Mm-hmm. You know, like a true massive power hitter. Uh, so I don't know, you would think that if you, I mean, baseball careers are so long that you'd think you'd just get bored and want to do some, some, you know, like basically like, uh, you know, changing the settings on a game or something so that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you can, you know, see, see the outer limits. I would think if I were a power hitter, I would want to go to Coors. And if I were, um, you know, if I were, if I were Kershaw or something, or if I were, you know, Cliff Lee, I might take a one-year deal in San Diego just for fun.
0: <laughs> sure, just to, just to see what up you can crazy do. numbers, yeah.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun to have like one, 1. 1.3 ERA? Because clearly, I mean, you know, 70 years from now, nobody's going to remember that Petco was a pitcher's park. And, and so... even now, we're
0: talking about general managers being really smart, but the typical baseball fan maybe is not quite <laughs> at that level, and so you'd, you'd fool a lot of people.
1: You'd fool a lot of people. It would be... It would be fun, and I mean, they're all players are always talking about. Uh, you know, well, they they hate it when 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 we say things like, ah, oh, batting average doesn't matter. Or, you know, if we try to park and You always see players complaining, so they probably don't care that much. Mm-hmm. They probably would love a phony 1.3 RA.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, so it's my topic today. That was not it. Um, I want to talk about a new kind of baseball coach that we've been seeing hired lately. Um, And I might write about this too. I don't know. I don't like to double dip, but uh, some people prefer the, the written Lindbergh word to the spoken. So I might, I might do both, but uh, I do. (laughs) Me too. Um, So there's a a new type of coach who is sweeping dugouts across the nation. Uh, And it's, 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 it goes by different names, but it's, uh, the, the Tigers have hired a defensive coordinator, I believe is is the actual title. Uh, it's Matt Martin, who is uh, a coach that that Gabe Kapler advocated hiring in a guest piece at BP earlier this year. Um, so they've hired him as a defensive coordinator. His duties will include coordinating video and advanced scouting reports, and working with the infielders and outfielders on defensive positioning. Uh, but he will be, you know, a, a real coach in the dugout, in uniform, and everything. Um, and the, he is not the first guy. Uh, I, I don't know whether it was the whether this was the first of this trend or whether I just missed it happening. But when Matt Williams was hired uh, by the Nationals early this month, beginning of this month, he brought a guy with him from the Diamondbacks, Mark Wiedemeyer, who will serve as the Nationals' new defensive coordinator and advanced coach. And he's going to create advanced defensive reports and presumably do the same sort of thing that Martin will do in Detroit. Uh, He will also be in the dugout as an extra coach. And his background, he was with the Diamondbacks before that, and he was a special assistant to the GM and an MLB advanced scout. So he was doing the same sort of thing, but was in the front office. And then uh, I guess the most recent hiring in this trend, just on Tuesday, was the Angels hiring Rick Eckstein uh, as sort of a
1: friend of the podcast, by the way. Yeah. Favorite of the podcast.
0: Okay. Um, didn't
1: we have didn't we have a Rick Eckstein episode?
0: Uh, we did talk about him. Why did we talk about him?
1: Because uh, I love him. Oh, we did a whole thing on batting instructors, and he never played higher than heist, uh, college oh, right.
0: ball. Oh, uh-huh. right. Okay. So he's going to be the Angels' player information coach is his title. Um, sort of similar, but as I understand it, he's not actually going to be in uniform in the dugout. He's just kind of going to be uh, a coach. Let's see. I'm reading off uh, SB Nation's summary of the hiring He'll help coaches with defensive alignments and hitting preparations before the game, then move up to the box seats to serve as an eye in the sky as the action takes place, uh, which is what Alden Gonzalez reported at MLB.com. So a little different from the other two guys in that he presumably won't be in uniform in the dugout during the game, but he'll be doing the same sort of thing. So I think this is an interesting trend. Uh, I, I would expect it to continue and I guess it's kind of I guess it's what teams are doing instead of hiring the, the second hitting coach to be in uniform now like you can't do both because there's a finite number of coaches you're allowed so they've decided that this is the, the high priority thing and I'm actually kind of surprised that we we didn't really see multiple pitching coaches before we saw multiple hitting coaches, did we?
1: could couldn't you ha- I mean, how many hitting coaches do you need in uniform? It seems like you could have right. you could have you could have hitting coaches that don't sit in the dugout. Mm-hmm. It seems. I mean, I, I know the hitting coaches work with the players in the dugout and all that. I mean, you you definitely would have to have one, yeah. but if it seems like uh like one in uniform and one out of uniform would be like 97% of mm-hmm. the the value of two in uniform.
0: Mhm yeah uh I'm, I'm surprised we didn't really see that with pitching coaches just because you'd think that if if one of those two roles was going to expand there would be pitching coaches right because they're more pitchers than there used to be there aren't really more hitters on a team than there used to be but they're they're are fewer of them There are more you got, pitchers. Your coach. Yeah. you got your bullpen coach yeah you, you've got people but you know there's the whole i mean there are more pitches out there today and more pitches on each team and and the whole biomechanical aspect of everything. And you'd, you'd think you'd maybe want a specialist there more than you would with hitting. But anyway, um, maybe teams are going away from hiring just another guy who does the same sort of thing. And they've just created this completely new position, or at least they've shifted the responsibility of this position sort of from upstairs to downstairs. And I thought there was, uh, there was an illuminating quote, uh, in the Detroit Free Press from Brad Ausmus. Um, And he said uh, he was very quick to, I guess, to anticipate what could be a backlash to this hiring of a defensive coordinator and said uh, he's a baseball guy. He's not a number-crunching guy. His background is playing and coaching in the minor leagues. He's not a sabermetrician.
1: Can you sorry I can you
0: repeat which one are we talking about? We're talking about Matt Martin. Uh, Matt Martin. This is an Osmus coat. So so while this is true he's I mean he is a baseball guy whose background is playing and coaching in the minor leagues and he's not a sabermetrician it almost felt overly defensive <laughs> like yeah you know like it's it's sort of sad almost that and I don't blame him for saying that because Uh, Why subject the guy to any extra scrutiny or, you know, you don't want some columnist to be writing about the guy and saying, oh, he's just a numbers nerd in the dugout or whatever. You don't need that kind of attention. But it's almost sad that you have to say that (laughs) today just to head off that kind of complaint, because, you know, what if he were a number crunching guy? What if he were a sabermetrician? That wouldn't wouldn't be such a bad thing. Um, And I guess it's it's also kind of selling him to the players if any of the players don't know him and are uncomfortable with this new coach being there, then it's like, you know, reassuring them, telling them, Hey, he's one of us. Uh, he's not one of those upstairs guys in the suits. Um, but I mean, it seems like the, the purpose of this new position is sort of to bridge the gap, right? Between the front office and the dugout. And this is something I've been interested in and I've written about, and maybe we've talked about before is that, you have these really smart front offices who are doing all this innovative research and have all this new data available to them, but they're still kind of hiring the baseball guy as the coach and the baseball guy isn't necessarily receptive to those things, or at least he's not as well versed in those things. And so there's this gap. And when I was an intern or when I speak to front office people, sometimes it seems like there's sort of a, a frustration about that or, maybe people are mostly just resigned to it. Um, but, you know, like, you make a big binder for the coaching staff and you'll put all these advanced information in there and all these tendencies and the heat maps and everything. And there's there's just sort of an acceptance that no one is going to look at those things. That, you know, if they look at anything, they'll probably look at the wrong things. They'll look at, like, the small sample matchups that they want in there, and they won't actually look at the predictive stuff. And And so there hasn't been a great way to bridge that gap because you want to avoid the perception that the front office is just pulling all the strings and, and usurping the the field staff's authority. But you, you, so you can't stick a, you know, a saber matrician in the dugout who can just know these things and tell the players himself, you need a conduit of some sort, some, some former player who's acceptable to everyone. Um, and has this background in playing and scouting and coaching and advanced scouting and positioning and can kind of incorporate all. Uh,
1: what in the world?
0: I don't know. What was the last? My
1: computer, my computer went. My computer went black on conduit, and then it just popped back. Hmm. Super weird.
0: Uh, okay. So what was I saying when you cut out?
1: You said. I said conduit.
0: conduit. <laughs> um. I don't remember what I said before and after that.
1: Well, you it doesn't matter if I get cut out, right? Uh
0: yeah, no, I guess not. Okay.
1: So whatever guess, you stopped on.
0: Okay. Uh so you need this guy with the background in scouting and playing and coaching and uh and being around players and being a, a player himself to kind of convey this information from the front office to to the the players. And I guess this is the solution that teams have hit on—that you you put a baseball guy and you just you say he's he's doing advanced scouting and he's he's doing defensive positioning—and and obviously it's a it's a, a reflection of how important teams think shifting is and and how they think there's an advantage to be gained there and and by studying opposing players' tendencies and all the new data that's available and everything. Um, what I what I guess I'm curious about is how much how much of what these guys do is going to be based on their own observations as opposed to information that they're getting from upstairs, right? Because if they're if they're sitting in the dugout, they're not following all the other teams on the road, so they're not doing what a traditional advanced scout does where he sits on a series and, and writes down everything every player does and then puts it into a, a report. He's seeing the same thing that that all the other coaches and players are seeing, but he is the guy responsible for knowing what the other team does. So I guess that implies that he's going to be in pretty close contact with, with the data people, right. Passing that on to him, I would think. And, and I mean, you can't, you can't do defensive positioning really based on what you see. Cause you, you, you have to see what a player does when you're not seeing him to know where he's going to hit the ball. Um, so I would guess that you would have to have a a pretty information-friendly person to put in this role.
1: Yeah, you said it, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you said everything about that topic. Nailed it. <laughs> you did. Stuck the landing and everything. Wow. Uh, it'll be uh, – I mean, yeah. No, I. I it, it does seem like a pretty uh, – even if it's not – it seems like a very obvious trojan horse and Gabe talked about this when we had him on the show back i don't know what was that like 230 what do you think what episode do you think that was
0: i have no sense of when we did anything if it was more so than he, a week ago he
1: he talked we asked i mean we specifically one of the questions we asked was about you know how you get them to start listening and he said you you find you basically you find the baseball guys who are who are willing and you you use them you find one of them
0: 249
1: so then he, they're your, they're your evangelists. You can't, you know, it's like, uh, so my, my, uh, my, my sister's husband teaches in a seminary in, in, in Kiev in Ukraine. And, um, you know, the idea is that it's sort of like missionary work, except it's kind of like not that useful to be a missionary in a foreign country and tell them your strange, weird views and tell them to change their lives. So you train, the people in that country, and then they go do it in their own culture and in their own way, and in a way that's sort of culturally sensitive. And so this is basically that. This it, this seems to be uh, going out and training a Ukrainian <laughs> to be a, to be a, to be a, to be a minister. Mm-hmm. Now um, the interesting thing to me is that um, this is not a job that existed two weeks ago for most of these teams, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be. Really easy for this job not to exist in a year uh, if they don't want it to, which basically means that the guy in the job has no leverage at all, and the club has insane amounts of leverage over them compared to the way that they, you know, compared to the amount of leverage they have over a hitting coach or a manager. I mean, it's not easy to fire a hitting a hitting coach. You know, it's a news story. It's like, you know, you start talking about, you know, whether he did a good job and all that. Whereas with with this guy, if you don't like what he's doing, you just you know, you just get rid of the position. Nobody will even really notice. It'll be like a, you know, a blurb. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the manager's perspective, it might be hard to see this guy as anything but a plant from the front office. Well, um, other
0: guy. I mean, other coaches are pretty expendable too, right? They're only not expendable in that they are the manager's guy, right? So you you don't want to break up his staff because that could cause problems with your relationship with him. But otherwise,
1: Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I think it's the difference between being, uh, you know, a a contract worker and being an employee. Uh, You know, if you're an employee, uh, then your boss never like necessarily wakes up one day and goes, today's the day I'm going to get rid of that guy. Unless, you know, you're doing something wrong. You just sort of get in this in this inertia of having this job and something has to really happen to shake to shake up that situation. Whereas if you're a contract worker once a year. Your boss thinks, ah, oh, should I renew this guy? It's like a different thing. It's it's like uh, there there's nothing there, there's not quite the same rhythm that keeps the job perpetually uh, you know active. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's quite the same as a hitting instructor. I think you have to decide to fire the hitting instructor. You can really very easily get rid of time though at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Eckstein knows he's working for his job, and you know every every day he's working for his job. It seems like. Uh, he's going to be, um, you know, potentially much more deferential to the front office than a lot of than anybody else in the coaching staff is likely to be, mm-hmm. and that's possibly the point. But it might be a dangerous thing if you're expecting him to be an equal in the in the coaching staff, and if you're expecting the coaching staff and the players to take him seriously as part of the coaching staff.
0: Yeah, I and it seems it's hard to tell exactly what the impetus was for hiring these guys, or whose idea it was, because like in the mlb.com story which is mostly about hiring Matt Williams as the manager uh, it it spins it at least as Williams totally orchestrating this himself it says Williams has already put his stamp on the team hiring Mark Wiedemeyer from the D-backs to serve as a defensive court. like you know he he either it it doesn't say whether it was his suggestion to create this position or whether that was dictated to him and this was his choice for the person to fill that position. We don't, we don't really know how that happened, but this is his guy. I mean, someone that he worked with in Arizona and he brought on, um, which is often how we see coaches hired, but it's not as clear in the other stories. Uh, You know, like the, the story in the LA times about Eckstein just says the angels hired, Former Washington Nationals hitting coach Rick Eckstein, and then there's a team issued press release with a Mike Sosha quote, uh, but it doesn't doesn't make it sound like it was you know Sosha's guy and he pushed for this position, um, and that's sort of sort of the case with the the Tigers too. I mean it's a it's a new manager and he's bringing in a whole new staff and it's not really not really clear. Whether this was more of a front office hire or, or more of a managerial hire, um, so maybe that differs by organization. And I guess the the organizations that are that are spearheading this are maybe not the ones that you that you would expect. I, I you know, would you would you expect you know some stereotypically sabermetric analytical team? to To be the first to do this like the A's or the Indians or the Rays or one of those teams that sort of embrace tiring stat heads early, you know, cause the the tigers really don't have that reputation. They, they have like right. one stat guy who was hired fairly recently and the nationals have a, I guess uh, more of a, an analytics department, but not a huge one. And, and then the angels, have, you know, socials is a pretty old school guy. So Uh, The
1: Angels. I'm. I probably maybe to a fault. I'm sort of looking at this through the Angels' filter because mm. it really does fit into this narrative where they have a very stat-friendly front office and a very stat-unfriendly coaching staff, and it's been a source of tons of tension between them. And so you can't help but see this hybrid, quasi-hybrid position as anything but a power struggle. But that's because everybody sees everything as a power struggle in Anaheim right now that that might not be what it is mm-hmm. um but that might be coloring my my view of this and you're right it doesn't like from the tigers lens knowing what we've you know always thought about the tigers right we don't expect them to be the front office that's like you know the vanguard of uh you know sabermetric uh on the field um you know power grab
0: yeah um Right. I mean, I would,
1: I would have guessed that to t- I would have probably guessed that Osmus was more stat-friendly than their front office, perhaps. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, and and I don't know whether it's. I I mean, it's it's kind of, maybe that's because the the analytical teams feel like they can just hire analytical coaches and don't need the go between, you know? Because if you if your manager is Joe Madden, then. You don't need to like sneak a sneak a guy in there who will pass on stats. You, you have Joe Men, and he's perfectly happy to look at your stats and, and implement them. So I don't know whether they just prioritize hiring a, a stat friendly manager or coaching staff so much that, that they don't feel like they need this extra position or whether that has anything to do with it. And and it's not like these it's not like these guys that they're hiring like you wouldn't expect them, based on their background, to be any more stat-friendly than than the coaches these teams already have, right? I mean, Eckstein has been a, a coach for almost a couple decades. He's been a, a hitting coach for the past five years. I mean, he's he doesn't really have a an atypical background. I mean, if he were hired as as any other kind of coach for this team, it wouldn't raise an eyebrow. Um, So I guess then once you hire the person for this position, then maybe you find yourself back in the same position where you're having the same difficulties just with a with a new person or I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're hiring this person to do this job, then presumably one of the prerequisites is that they be willing to to listen and be enthusiastic about the information that you're providing. But since they are sort of the the typical coaches as far as background goes, it's not like there's anything about them in particular that would make you think that they are better suited to using this information than, than the coaches you already have, um, which makes me think that maybe you could just sort of skip this step and hire an analytical manager who has this background.
1: I'm like 96% sure we're overthinking this by 96%. <laughs> Probably, well, that's what I do. That's... Which means, which I think, I think that means that we are overthinking it by ninety-two percent. If I'm
0: <laughs> well, that's the name of my column. Uh, so that's what I tend to do. So anyway, we uh, we have our finger on the pulse of the baseball world. This is the new thing that's happening. So I wanted to discuss it.
1: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right. Do you think how long do you think it'll be called defensive coordinator? In I mean, do you think that that's a well, name that is going? I know it's not. It's not right. like the. But but do you think that in five years that that will be the, the de facto term or not the official term for all these guys or will it be completely disregarded as a wrong sport?
0: Yeah, I don't know if that'll catch on. It's too it's too limiting, right? Because if you're also an advanced scout, then you're not just a defensive coordinator. So at, like in football, apparently there's a position sort of analogous to this and it's just called a quality control coach which is kind of an interesting name, so maybe that will be the crossover title. I I don't know. Um, But, I mean, all three of these guys, I guess, have different different titles right now, so there's no, no standard.
1: When I was a teenager and thought that I was much smarter than I later learned I was... I uh, had this idea that I wanted to be a uh, – I, I wanted to be what I would call a logic coordinator and I would simply – like people would hire me in, in any situation and I would simply provide them logic <laughs> and, so that they can make good decisions. Yeah. And um, and that's actually a terrible idea for me but a great idea for a job if you're actually an, ex- an exceptional person. And mm. probably every team should have a logic coordinator who just sort of floats around and says that's a dumb decision yeah Uh,
0: (laughs) i always think uh tv shows writers rooms should have one of those people yeah just kind of a guy who watches tv like a regular person and is bothered by all the (laughs) implausible stuff that happens and just says that's not a good thing
1: (laughs) yeah not not bogged down by having to be creative or having to you know having to to do um you know, employee reviews or any of the things that kind of uh, eventually ruin us as employees mm-hmm. just floats around giving good opinions.
0: <laughs> I guess that's what
1: enforcing logic.
0: That's what a consultant is, right? I always wonder what a consultant is. I don't. I don't
1: it is a lot of what a consultant is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as, I do you know. I wonder. Has any team? Do you know if any team has ever hired McKinsey? For, I
0: don't. No, I don't know. All right. All right, so that's that. We'll be back tomorrow. And again, listener email show is on Friday, so send us some at podcast at